was gone so unless we like overlooked it dude that's exactly what he did but you got another explanation man i'd love to hear it hello everyone matt here and welcome to looking back at lost where each week i look at another episode of abc's lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole Today, we conclude Season 4 of the series with Episode 414, entitled There's No Place Like Home, Part 3. This is the 86th episode of the series, and there are 35 to go. However, before we kick things off, a quick email from a listener, a very appropriate one indeed, especially since uh, we'll be headed towards Season 5 before too long. This email is from John, and it refers to the episode Cabin Fever. He said, I thought the scene where John had to choose what belonged to him was Richard's way of testing him because 1954 adult Locke gave Richard that compass. Richard was testing the validity of it and seeing if young John could tell the future, thus making him a very special child. Well, John, I certainly like the sound of that, as I, uh, as I have said before. You know, my memory of the, the season that we're about to head into is always dimmest as, as I'm wrapping up. Uh, a current season. So I'll certainly keep uh, your comment in mind as we get into season five and get into that uh, that kind of time-hopping business that is ahead of us. But uh, I think certainly your email and some of the other comments on Twitter and email that I've shared uh, rightly point out that there's, uh, there's some important stuff in that particular scene. So with that, let's get into the Wikipedia summary for this finale episode. In the Orchid Station, Ben seals, then activates power to the compartment he had loaded with metal items, blowing a hole in the back of it. Ben, now wearing a parka, tells Locke that whoever moves the island is forced to leave it and never come back. Ben must do it so that Locke can stay and lead the others. Locke then goes to the others, who welcome him home. Ben climbs through the hole and down a rocky tunnel. Beyond it is a frozen chamber and going into it, he cuts his arm in the process. He then turns a very large metal wheel. As he completes the rotation, an eerie sound and white-yellow light soon envelop the entire island. Ben disappears, only to reappear later in the Sahara Desert as seen in the shape of things to come. On the helicopter, our heroes must make it to the Kahana in the nick of time. They refuel it, fix the leak, pick up Desmond Hume, Son and Aaron seconds before the C4 detonates. The resulting explosion kills Michael, who's told he can go now by a vision of Christian Shepherd. The status of Jin, who is on the boat, is left uncertain as a cliffhanger. Sawyer swims back to the island and laments the destruction of the boat with Juliet. The people on the helicopter decide to return to the island, but as they approach, they see the island vanish in the white-yellow light. With nowhere to land, the helicopter runs out of fuel, and the survivors are forced to ditch into the ocean. They drift in a rescue raft for several hours, where Hurley suggests that Locke succeeded in moving the island, but Jack disagrees. At night, the survivors are rescued by Penny Whitmore, Desmond's girlfriend, with whom he is finally reunited. 
Jack then convinces the others that they must lie about their experiences on the islands to protect those left behind. In keeping with the faked wreckage of Flight A-15 found in the Java Trench, the Oceanic Six are dropped off near the island of Sumba, where they are found by local villagers. Lastly, in Flash Forwards, Kate has a dream in which Claire tells her not to bring Aaron back to the island. In London, England, Sun confronts Charles Widmore, Penny's father, who sent the Kahana to the island, and tells him that they have common interests involving the island. After finding out that Bentham is dead, Saeed breaks into the mental hospital where Hurley is staying and convinces him to go somewhere safe. Jack returns to the funeral parlor where he is confronted by Ben. He says that the island will not allow Jack to return without everyone else who left joining him. This includes Jeremy Bentham's body, who is finally revealed to be John Locke. So with that, now getting to my thoughts about the episode, just, just a, a wonderful finale, one that races along to the point that you know i mentioned last week that the podcast came in a bit shorter than uh than is generally the case and i said that i i hoped that it was not due to lack of analysis on my part sometimes when you have action 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 and tons of resolution uh or storylines coming to a close um there's not as much to say uh certainly well that was the case uh, uh, last week, and I, I felt like I raced through watching this episode, so hopefully that's not the case again this time. Either way, we'll give it my best go. Anyhow, the uh, previously on Lost recaps the chopper losing gas, uh, a scene that in the recap looks particularly cheap. Uh, anyhow, the episode proper opens somewhere back home and quickly turns into Saeed gunning a man down. Nice contrast there, guys. Very nice indeed. Uh, I, I had to wonder, how is it that Saeed stays one of our strongest heroes throughout the show? Probably, I bet, because he's always willing to go to the gray area. He's He's gone down the wrong path, as we have. Certainly, we haven't gone uh, <laughs> to the degree that he has. But um, we've all made our mistakes and come back from them. So has he. It's you know amplified for television, the, the mistake and the and the journey back. But uh, somehow he's unafraid to go shoot that guy who's uh, at Santa Rosa, outside Santa Rosa. The implication being that he's that he's watching Hurley. Um, anyhow, uh, with that, Saeed makes his way in. He indeed does uh, meet up with Hurley there at Santa Rosa. Saeed shares the news of Bentham being dead. A frustrating mystery, you know, the first-time viewer mystery of who, you know, who is this Jeremy Bentham guy? We're about to find out Hurley almost overturns the mystery saying Locke's real name, but Saeed cuts him off. Why? What's the dramatic function of it? Well, we're in a finale, of course, and you don't blow stuff like that until the end. The great uh, surprise being, as, as we'll get to in due course, that the expected zinger, I think, of... Does the island get moved? What happens with the freighter story? That gets wrapped up at about the two-thirds mark. And then it's the, the revelation of Locke being dead uh, under the name Jeremy Bentham that is the real zinger for the, for the future. Um, something that we'll discuss in due course. Anyhow, the scene in Hurley's room uh, wraps up with a fun little refrain. Hurley's been playing chess not by himself, but the supposed spirit of Mr. Echo. 
He says, of course, the last time that Echo uh, will be heard from in the series, so to speak. There's one little asterisk to it, but we'll get to that as well. Anyhow, flash forward over. Lapidus and the chopper crew can't find the boat. It's excuse enough to remind everyone that Sawyer jumped out. See, this does work as a standalone episode. They're taking this moment to say, uh... We're, we can't find the the chopper. Wouldn't anyone, you know, hopefully nobody else needs to jump out. Like Sawyer last week. Uh, anyhow, with that, they find the boat just in time. Certainly suggesting that that's the dramatic imperative of the scene to just merely kind of remind you, hey, it's a chopper. They're low in gas. They're leaking gas. The guy had to jump out. With that, we cut to the bleeding Kimi, his heart monitor slowing down. He promises Ben that Widmore will find him, and Ben retorts, not if I find him first. Uh, thus, this being the birth of the flash-forward storyline of Ben and Saeed hunting down those bad guys. Now, this is pretty tense at this point. Chopper close to crashing, or Chopper losing gas, uh, Kimi dying, so on and so forth. But it's not tense enough. With that, Kimi dies. The red light uh, on his personal body monitor lights as well. And uh, with that, we cut to the freighter bomb, which also, its light also turns red, although it doesn't explode right away due to Michael's freezing plan. Uh, With that, Desmond runs to the surface, yelling at the now-approaching, very loud helicopter that there's a bomb, but land they must as they're out of gas. Tension, tension, tension. Uh, With that, the teaser act ends a bit promptly. Uh, He's just kind of yelling, and it's a quick cut to black. Uh, And then the title card... That is, of course, proof that this wasn't fully intended to be a standalone episode the entire time. Yes, it's kind of uh, planned out that way, uh, at least in this edit. I know there's a slightly different edit between the uh, There's No Place Like Home Part 2, two-hour version, and then the Part 2 and 3, one-hour versions. There's a slightly different pattern to it in kind of the end of Part 2, beginning of Part 3 section, but... Anyhow, as I said, title card, then an extremely frantic scene on the deck of the Kahana. Lots of handheld camera work really selling the tension of it all. The story zips along, refueling the chopper while Michael, ironically, plays the good father card with Jin, telling the latter he must lead. Uh, They don't oversell it, but there's kind of just that notion of Michael accepting that he's been a been a, a poor father and encouraging Jin to be the best father that he can be by being there. Uh, irony of ironies doesn't quite work out that way for Jin, now does it? Uh, anyhow, this also gives Jin enough time, this little discussion does, it gives Jin enough time to not quite make the chopper. Uh, showing a bit of dramatic flourish to the writing of it all. Um, so there Jin is, and uh, at that point we move to a bit more mystery. We have to go back, turn around! We can't do it! We have to, we need to go back! We are, of course, now below decks with Michael, hearing the whispers, and then... You can go now, Michael. Who are you? For a show that has been guilty of imperfect special effects, 
the destruction of the freighter is a pretty darned good effect. And it, of course, is made all the more heartfelt by the presumed death of Jin, one of the great little fake-out mysteries that takes us all the way to season five. And indeed, from that from that heartfelt, presumed loss that uh, that Sun experiences, there's a very sudden, quick flash-forward to, to Sun in London, searching out Widmore, looking, presumably, for revenge. Revenge for what? Well, in an elegant bit of storytelling... From the flash forward, we, we go back to the sinking freighter, where Sun is still abject in her grief. It isn't a big reveal, of course. It's just a nice little losty through line of cause, effect, cause. That we have an act break, then we're back in the Orchid, where Ben rationalizes his killing of Kimi is uh, an example of good leadership, sometimes being compromised by emotional thinking. He's still, at this point, loading up the research chamber with metal, and for what? I asked you a question! If I were you, I'd die. With that hole now blown in the back of the chamber, it's an opportunity to reflect that many a lost episode is zippy, but this episode certainly takes the cake. We've got just enough story time to move along the mystery of the orchid, and, you know, certainly it's not answered, but the, the scene concludes with uh, Ben saying that he needs to change. Hey, we saw him dressed rather oddly for the island when he uh, was suddenly in Tunisia, didn't we? Uh, anyhow, so moving that story along just a tad. And at that point, we move along to two characters who are just starting to be able to move along together. What are you doing here? Decided to take a dip. What you celebrating? I'm not celebrating. love that in so many, many ways, this is the first time that Sawyer and Juliet are really being together, that the common grief of being trapped in a place that they both see as, as a prison, an awful prison, is something that, uh, that binds them. It's not the most opportune way to start a relationship, of course, but hey, I guess that's the way it goes. With that, the story moves to Ben in a parka. Hey, that parka! And he explains that now Locke is the island boss man and that once he, Ben, leaves, he can never return. Never, ever, 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 ever. It's another, you know, hit from the Ben pity party. And, uh, you know, it's always in the form of Ben doing this altruistic thing. So why not feel a little bad for him? Uh, ben really kind of uh, adds so much to that when he... Uh, he apologizes for making Locke's life so difficult and offers a nice manly man handshake. Let's not forget, because certainly the writers have not, that if Locke thought his life was made difficult about Ben, how about his death? But that, of course, is a story for another season. Locke leaves the orchid, and both uh, the music 
and the camera work sell Locke as the man in charge, down to inspired others slowly standing up and looking at him with awe, and the fact that the main camp's at the bottom of a hill, thereby allowing us to have a triumphant camera angle looking up at the steely, determined Locke. They're selling it here. They're selling it. Uh, Richard welcomes him home to the community, and then there's an act break. Afterwards, Ben is moving the metal out of the way, indeed having blown a hole in the rock. He crawls through a tunnel. Hey, like the 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 tunnel that was uh, by his house, in the back of his house. Good old Dharma building over the old bones of those ancient inhabitants. Anyhow, Ben crawls down to the donkey wheel room, falling and cutting his arm. Another direct connection to his flash-forward story, which now seems very, very close indeed. I hope you're happy now, Jacob. It's an appropriately slow and tense scene. We don't completely understand what's going on as first-time viewers, or do we? Ben said that he'd move the island, and he does, of course. As this powering up sound starts to, to fill our fill our speakers, uh, we see the others. We see some of the castaways also hearing it as well. And the, the piece de resistance is the grief on Ben's face. It's just this palatable regret. Ben isn't just moving the island. He, at that moment, really believes that he may actually be leaving the island forever. His home this place where he's become the person that he is now, for better or for worse. Uh, It's excellent acting. It's a small moment. It's not one that is made necessary by the action of the scene, but here Michael Emerson just absolutely sings with the sadness as he's doing this one great thing for the sake of the island. After the flash, the effects here are flawless. The white fades away, leaving a giant, weighty ripple effect. Sure enough, and our chopper heroes are asking something that we want to ask as well. Where's the island? Where's the island? Where the hell's the island? Where the hell am I going to land this thing? There's another smaller island close by they took us to. I got news for you, Doc. There's nothing but water in every direction. 
doesn't matter now. That's it, people. We're out of fuel. All drama is driven by tension. So after surviving a plane crash, why not throw in a helicopter crash into it all as well? Get your life vests on. We're going in. wisely makes the crash brief. The special effects to move the island were simple smoke and mirrors. A chopper in the water? That's probably best hardly seen. Oddly, as our heroes pop out of the water, it lacks a bit of dramatic impact. We do, after all, know that they survive as the Oceanic Six. So what's the solution to this, kind of from the writer's room? How is it that we ensure that we actually care about what's going on here? Well, Desmond isn't breathing. And we, of course, don't know his future fate, so all the more reason to throw in a bit more of that tension. Indeed, not only is Desmond alive, but so is everyone, as noted by Jack. And when Jack says this, by the way, it's done via an insert shot that seems somehow badly, badly blue-screened in. There's no way that that shot uh, was taken at the same time as everyone else, and it certainly does seem to show. Before we move on, I just want to note that here we are about two-thirds of the way through the episode, and it's an interesting writing choice that the island moving special effects extravaganza the chopper crash of you know perhaps not the best special effects but certainly peril to our to our most beloved characters how interesting that that isn't the capper of the finale um of course that will be done in in flash forward but just an interesting dramatic choice to um to, 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 to somehow put the the dramatic emphasis of the show into into those flash forwards which is fair I'm not I'm not suggesting it's a bad idea certainly we um, you know that's where the show is headed it's this it's you know this unbelievable notion that we've had for a year's time uh, the course of season four plus the season three finale. Uh, that they, some of them get off the island. And how could that possibly be? Wasn't the end of the show always going to be some people make it off and some people do not? Um, so they're kind of upping the ante here, saying, yeah, there's island stuff, but we're not going to end with the shocking crash. We're going to actually give some resolution to that, answer some questions, and, and so forth. Uh, 
it's a nice it's a nice shift in the storytelling um anyhow after this uh you know successful chopper post chopper scene we have the act break and then we're with flash forward kate hearing noises in the house and getting a strange uh, phone call and of course jacchino's music makes it even more tense kate grabs a gun after searching quite a bit for it i know you don't want to have a gun handy if you have a toddler in the house if you're a gun person uh although i would imagine a gun lock would address that entirely but she almost needs to do more searching for that gun than she needs to. And I know it's a dream, but it's a, it seems to be a dream based on reality, you know, her house and all that. Just a bit strange. Just figured I'd mention that. You think that Kate, who's so savvy in always having an exit strategy, you know, if somebody really does break in, she now needs to search and search and search to find a gun. But anyhow, uh, in her dream, she ends up finding Claire leaning over Aaron. Claire warns Kate not to bring Aaron back. Certainly a nice bit of foreshadowing there. Then Kate wakes up from the bad dream. It's a bit hackneyed to use the bad dream gag, if you ask me, but it is what it is. Uh, Maybe it's just... I don't know. I'm not not a fan of that particular scene. Um, Anyhow, Kate sobs over the real sleeping three-year-old Aaron, and we flash back to the sleeping baby Aaron. Get it? You know, we go from Aaron to Aaron. Anyhow, um, back to sleeping baby Aaron and indeed everybody in the uh, the rescue floaty dingy thing. Uh, Hurley is a realist. He's the one wise enough to see the big picture. And he puts two and two together. And also doesn't mind giving Jack a ration of crap back. Can't believe you did it. Who did what? Locke. He moved the island. No, he didn't. Oh, really? Because one minute it was there and the next it was gone, so... Unless we, like, overlooked it, dude, that's exactly what he did. But you got another explanation, man. I'd love to hear it. Attaboy, Hurley. Show your leadership stripes well ahead of time. Anyhow... At that point, hope and love arrive. It's a perfect, beautiful surprise. And speaking of combining two and two, as that boat pulls up, Jack realizes what Locke told him is true. And at that point, we see the birth of the Oceanic Six lie. The scene feels procedural and necessary, uh, but of course, it's about to get much, much better uh, and remind us that the show is ultimately about love and hope, and other constants. wonderful bit of staging that Desmond doesn't wait for the formal heave-ho to get up. He scrambles and climbs on what's already there. 
He and we have absolutely and most certainly earned this moment. bits of dialogue, it all becomes clear. The tracking station from season two, the phone call from season three. And of course, the sense of warm and fuzzies doesn't last long enough to end the act, though. Who brings it down? Jack, who declares that he and Penny must talk. <sighs> it's an act break, and then it's one week later. By the way, I'll just share one bit from Lostpedia a bit early. It is with that act break that the continuous chronology of the show from Jack's Eye opening until that moment, uh, that that chronology ends. It's the first time that the ongoing storyline uh, of our survivors comes essentially to an end. Here we're now skipping a week. We're going to do some time travel bits, etc. Uh, and whatnot in season five with those still on the island. But that is the end of... Uh, in a sense, where we thought the series would end, you know, the last the story of their time on the island, um, at least their first time on the island, that's that's where that ends. But uh, anyhow, as I said, after the act break, it's one week later. Hurley and Saeed have another procedural moment. They're at Mambata, the island referenced in the Oceanic Six cover story. Jack and Lapidus say their goodbyes. Jack saying that he hopes he'll never see Lapidus again. Irony of ironies laid hidden in a passing comment. Desmond says his goodbye as well, saying that as long as he's got Penny, he'll be fine. You know, the first time I saw this, it absolutely felt like his end to the series. Where else can the man who had an odyssey go once he's found his Penelope? Ah, to underestimate him, the son of a carpenter, so to speak. Anyhow, with that, the Oceanic Six heave off with Giacchino playing the scene. They row and land and finally are now in civilization. A happy, happy existence. Thus, the intentional hard cut to bearded Jack, drugged and angry, showing up at the funeral home just as he did a season ago. Jack, our hero, uses a rock to break in. How the mighty have fallen. It's as always, excellent, excellent acting from Matthew Fox. There's grief and anger and regret, and we don't know why, of course, but he does open the coffin for Jeremy Bentham. And he, you know, he and the show tease us because we don't see his face. The cliffhanger to leave us off for the season is now clear, but not before we go full circle. 
Hello, Jack. Sorry. Didn't mean to scare you. Did he tell you that I was off the island? Yes, he did. When did you speak to him? About a month ago. And Kate? Yeah. Yeah, he came to see her, too. And what did he say to you? He told me that after I left the island, some very bad things happened. And he told me that it was my fault for leaving. And he said that I had to come back. I guess I heard that you've been flying on passenger planes. Hoping that you'd crash. It's dark, Jack. Very dark. Why are you here? I'm here to tell you that the island won't let you come alone. All of you have to go back. Are you... Saeed, I don't even know where Saeed is. Hurley is insane. Son blames me for. And Kate. She won't even talk to me anymore. Perhaps I can help you with that. This is the way it has to be, Jack. It's the only way. You have to do it together, all of you. Oh. I have a few ideas. Here, Ben is lit harshly and looks older, ominous. This is, of course, ahead of the final flourish for a frantic, twisted, and wonderful season. Jack, I said all of you. We're going to have to bring him, too. of Locke. We have this wonderful and confusing zinger, one that I still remember seeing with regret. You mean we have to wait until next January, next February? Luckily for us, the answer is now no. But of course, before we even get to future episodes, let's take a look at Lostpedia. Lostpedia notes, as I said earlier, that this is the last episode of the series to follow the continuous present-day narrative timeline which started the day of the crash in Pilot Part 1. That ends with the caption of one week later, announcing the passage of time after the life raft crew are found by the searcher. Lostpedia also notes that the Portuguese-speaking searcher crew members are the same people seen in the tracking station and live together, die alone, part two, that an inspired little moment of, of, uh, of background casting. Also from Lostpedia, other than the uh, character's name appearing in the lighthouse dial, 
This episode marks the last reference to Mr. Echo. All of their main characters were mentioned in the final season, and all but Nikki and Paolo actually appeared in the closing episodes or epilogue. Penultimately, for the Lostpedia bits this season, in order to help maintain secrecy, two fake endings were shot. All endings were the same up until the reveal of the coffin's occupant. In one ending, it was Sawyer, the other Desmond. These aired on Good Morning America on May 30th, 2008. Luckily, they teased the showing of those clips by showing the reveal of both Sawyer and Desmond um, as the episode was ending, you know, with the credits. So you actually didn't need to watch Good Morning America to see that moment. Last but not least... It took four editors approximately three weeks to edit the season, uh, the second part, by which they mean parts two and three of the finale, which under circumstances would take one editor two months. Certainly a mammoth undertaking, this finale. So let's look ahead to next week. Next week will be the return of Pete from phgeek.com's Revolution podcast, where we will preview season five, try and get back in our mindset of what that was like back in the winter of 2009 and uh look ahead to all those wonderful time travel-y 1970s episodes that are ahead of us so certainly looking forward to that and then two weeks time we jump straight into season five it certainly has been a very interesting experience to uh have done this shorter season i mean it truly truly feels like it's raced by but then you look at some of the earliest episodes of the season and it feels like quite a while ago so at any rate i'm glad that we've been able to complete these four seasons together dear listeners we have two to go and uh in the subsequent 35 episodes or so so with that i will talk to you all again next week for the preview of season five take care everybody and bye bye Try to prove you're crazy I'm gonna show that you're just wise All across the town